Welcome to the Wakeman Congregational Church podcast. This is a special recording of the Bible Q&A with Pastor Jay that was recorded in front of a live audience. This is part two of that recording. We have such freedom to proclaim the gospel here. We should be doing that with everything that we have, but the only gospel that we should be proclaiming is the biblical gospel. And so how on earth are we going to know that if we're not reading our Bibles? How on earth are we going to be able to help people who have real questions if we don't know the Word of God? We won't be able to. In fact, we'll do them great spiritual damage and we'll do them great disservice. That's why we have to be reading, we have to be growing, and we have to be learning. Because if we're not doing that, we're dead. We're dead. We have a question from the sanctuary. Um, kind of have to do with like conflict and quarreling, I suppose. What are some things that... Uh, Christians or pastors can disagree on, but it's not salvific. Uh, great question. What are some things that Christians or pastors can disagree on that are not salvific? Uh, things like eschatology, uh, the end times. Uh, so there's uh, kind of four big different views on the end times uh, as it pertains to the millennium. Uh, the thousand-year period of time, if you read the book of Revelation. We have people who are amillennialists. They don't believe in a literal thousand-year uh, end-time event. We have premillennialists who believe that Jesus Christ will return uh, before the thousand years. We have postmillennialists who believe uh, that Jesus Christ will return after the thousand-year period of time. Uh, things like that, things that don't pertain to um, either our growth in Christ-likeness, of basic uh, tenets of Christianity. So what are some primary doctrines that we have to agree on if we're going to be Christians, Uh, that Jesus Christ is the only way to God, Um, that Jesus Christ was born of the Virgin Mary, fathered by the Holy Spirit, walked uh, this earth for 30 years, uh, 33 years, uh, lived perfectly under Mosaic law, satisfied every one of the Old Testament prophecies, uh, was, was killed on a tree. Uh, the fullness of the wrath of God was poured out upon him, uh, and that he made atonement for sins. If we can't agree on those things, we're not even Christians. Or, or the other party who does not agree wouldn't even be a Christian. Uh, what are some other things that I can disagree on? Um, let's see here. Uh, the color of the carpets in a church. Uh, you know, what, what color the choir robes are. Um, you know, if, 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 if sister, uh, you know, whoever decides to get purple hair and it's a bad, you know, dye job or something like that. Uh, none of those things about disagreeing with, with, with any of that stuff would be considered salvific. But again, if we disagree with any portion of the Word of God, um, I, would, I, would, I would argue, hey, you might want to check and actually see if you're a Christian because because this is the Word of God. We can have slightly different interpretations over things like the end time or maybe future unfulfilled prophecy, but as it pertains to our primary doctrines, salvation by faith through grace, um, the fact that uh, the Bible is the uh, holy, inerrant, infallible Word of God, uh, we need to be batting 100% on those. Um, here's another great one, modes of baptism. That's, that's one that, that, that a lot of churches differ over. Guess what God ultimately uh, is, is not going to be super upset about. Whether or not there were Presbyterian PCA churches and there were Baptist churches, right? Uh, there, you know, our, that's why our people like R.C. Sproul, John MacArthur, um, Stephen Lawson can all get together in the same room and love the tar out of each other uh, because they're Christians and they agree on the 99 primary things and they might agree, disagree on one or two secondary things. So a great article would be uh, Spiritual Triage by Al Mohler to kind of look and answer that question more fully. What are, what are some of the things we should be batting 100% on? What are some of the things that we can disagree over, and that's okay? Since Jesus is supposed to love us and all mankind, how can you justify sending little children to hell just because they've never had a chance to hear about him? Love is a very uh, misunderstood biblical word, um, specifically when it's used in context of uh, covenantal love. So God does not have a covenantal love with every single man, woman, and child on the planet. He just doesn't. Uh, that's because hell exists and it's real. So we know that if God has entered into uh, an unconditional covenant of love with everyone, then hell should have zero residence minus the angels who rebelled. However, since we know that hell is full of impenitent sinners who rejected God in the Old Testament, who rejected Christ Jesus in the New Testament, uh, we know that obviously his love is not unconditional towards every single man, woman, and child on the planet. And it's a difficult doctrine. It's difficult to swallow. But here's why we should know our Bible. 
Uh, because in a New Testament setting, and by the way, all of us are in a New Testament setting, the Holy Spirit has come uh, the day of the Pentecost. Uh, Jesus has already made uh, atonement for sins on the cross. Um, because he has done those things, the only way to the Father is through the Son. And that is the gospel message of Christ Jesus and that he died for sinners. The only way to him is repentance and faith in Christ Jesus, uh, which, which brings us along to salvation, understanding that salvation is a gift of God so that no one can boast. So how does that, uh, that, that, that man, woman, child, uh, etc., who does not hear that message, how, how, that seems unfair uh, by our reasonings. However, here's the question. Is God holy? The answer biblically is yes. Uh, does God love biblically? Yes. What's the flip side of the, the attribute of God's love? His wrath. And so wrath exists because people sin against God's holiness. And when they sin against God's holiness, he would be unjust and unrighteous if he did not punish that sin. And so that's why the message of the cross is so beautiful for those uh, who hear that gospel message. Uh, for those who do not, how is it that they can stand condemned before a holy God if they have indeed not heard about Christ Jesus? Romans 1. Romans chapter 1. Uh, the wrath of God is revealed against all unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Uh, God has revealed himself through the sun, the moon, the stars, the things that are made, our bodies, uh, the fact that it takes 23 separate hormones to clot our blood, the fact that everybody has an individual fingerprint or an individual big toe print or what have you, all of these things point to a creator. And people don't worship him as God. We're, we're built to worship. We were built to worship in the garden. Here's the thing. What will you worship with your life? You will either worship something demonic or something of the world or you will worship God. Those are your only two options. Those are your only two options. There's only one religion on the planet. It's Christianity. Everything else is a bastardization of Christianity. Everything. And when we look at all your modern religions, all of them pick and choose some element out of Christianity to develop their central core theology, uh, which in itself will be flawed because they don't believe in the God of the Bible. And so we get in the middle of Psalms, I can't remember the, uh, or it's early Psalms, excuse me. Um, you thought that I was just like you, said God. And then he says, you're a fool that you thought that I was just like you. I am God, I am above, I am transcendent, I am holy and you are not. Isaiah says all of our works are but filthy rags. Uh, in, in, in the Hebrew, all of our works are but bloody and filthy menstrual rags before the holiness of God. We're dirty. We're undone, we're unclean, we're unworthy. And it is by the righteousness of another, Christ Jesus, that we can have a relationship with the Father. However, the Bible is also very clear that unless we repent of our sins and believe in Christ Jesus, there is no hope for us. Because John 3.36 says, literally, the wrath of God abides, it remains, it's still there if we do not believe in Jesus. John the Baptist said, even now the axe is laid to the root of the tree, and the tree that does not bear good fruit will be hewn down and cast in the fire. What do you say? The axe is already there. The wrath of God is already there. And it's only with repentance and true faith in Christ Jesus that the axe is removed, the wrath of God is removed, and we can have salvation. So, um, since you mentioned the word repentance, can you explain true repentance and how does that look in your life? Uh, true, I think we hammered on true repentance earlier, uh, again, um, without going all the way back through it. A true turning from sin to Christ. That would be the biblical, um, kind of the biblical definition. It's not just, you know, ah, I'm going to get my foot over here and, you know, maybe I just kind of want to depart from this a little bit, but I'm not really going to, but I'm, you know, going to go back to it and I'm not going to really turn it. But, you know, eh, there's not this middle ground. It's a breaking from your sin and turning to Christ. Uh, it's a fleeing from the wrath of God into the city of refuge, which is Christ Jesus. What does that look like in your life? Uh, Christians, uh, mature Christians, we should be repenting more. We should be repenting more than when we first became Christians because we should be growing in our understanding of what sin is and we should be growing in our hatred of sin. Uh, to the point where, uh, this, is, this is kind of funny, a little bit nerdy, uh, the Puritans sometimes would talk about repenting from repentance because they would become so focused on trying to mortify their sins that sometimes they would sin by just being focused on their sins. And that's, that's, that's kind of the level where we want to get to, where we're like, man, God, I'm sinning because I'm so, I'm so adamant about hunting down sin and mortifying it in my life because I want to be more like Christ. I want to follow you more. That that's, no, 
I focus on that too much. I need to look to the cross. I need to look to Christ. And that's where our focus is. And so when, when our heart of worship, when our, when our heart is full of godly things, it's full of Scripture, it's pointed to Christ, it won't be full of things of the world. It won't be full of things of the flesh. And our focus will naturally be on Christ Jesus, which will pull us away from sin. Why did Moses and those guys get to live up to 1,000 years and we only get to last 120 max? <laughs> Moses, Moses, uh, I think he was 130 when he died. Uh, he didn't get to live a thousand. Noah lived 900 and oh goodness, 900 something. Uh, Methuselah was 969. Um, we don't have an exact biblical uh, understanding for why their their timeline started to decrease. A lot of uh, creationists would argue that uh, likely there was a kind of a, uh, if you will, a film all the way around the planet of uh, condensation, kind of a super cloud that blocked UV rays uh, from penetrating the earth to an amount where they started to actually degrade our DNA. Um, I, I, can, I can buy that argument. I don't have a problem with that. But God did eventually set the cap for human life at around 120 years. Uh, he did that for his eternal purposes. Um, that's, that's, that's a God thing. I can't, I can't perfectly answer that question. What's a cult? A cult is a group of weirdos who believe in something that is not biblical uh, or believe in a false Christ. They believe in a false Messiah or they distort or twist the word of God for personal gain. Uh, sexual, monetarily, uh, you know, soaking up people's property, you name it. Whatever the end state of that cult leader or plural cult leaders are, it very quickly comes to the forefront what they want and what they demand from their people. Weirdos. Weirdos. Okay, we've got a question from the sanctuary. Um, when, when, and we've talked about it, the heart being deceitful above mm -hmm. all things and desperately sick and wicked. But then uh, God said in Ezekiel, I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you. How do you, I don't know, like with your emotions and things. Like Deconflicting that. What's going on in your heart if it's wicked, but it's new? And Great question. Great question. So uh, God doesn't literally give us, uh, uh, th so there's a spiritual principle at play. He doesn't literally do open heart surgery on us and put a new heart of flesh in there. That's not what he's getting after. It's a spiritual principle behind that, uh, that he's going to renew our spirit. He's going to renew our heart. And now, instead of just being under the bondage of slavery and sin, now we have the ability to choose in free will good or evil as to where before we got that heart, before we got that new spirit, all we could do was choose spiritually wicked things, even if they were good by the world standards. So how, how, do, we, how, do, we, how do we trust our feelings or emotions? We don't. That's the last thing we want to put our stock in is our feelings or our emotions, biblically speaking, in any way. Now, when is it okay to have feelings and emotions and we're not really worried about where those are coming from? Uh, let's say we have a, a death in our family. Um, you know, Jesus wept over Lazarus. Jesus withdrew himself and likely wept bitterly over John the Baptist. Those emotions are, are good emotions. That's not, there's nothing wrong with weeping. There's nothing wrong with being joyful uh, over good things, obviously. But how can we deconflict that uh, as it pertains to how we feel about any situation in life? Uh, if our feelings and emotions are the primary driving force for how we're making decisions or what we think about something, we need to pump the brakes very quickly. Put Step on the brakes as fast as possible and snap into focus our emotions and our feelings and hold those against Scripture. And so when we see, okay, hey, I feel this way about, uh, let's, let's say, a certain issue uh, in a church or a certain issue at my work. Uh, am I going to just trust my feelings and emotions or am I going to look and see, is there a scriptural precedent here? Has God already spoken to this issue in some way? And if he has, then I probably already know what he wants or what he says we should do or how we should respond. And so to respond outside of that without caring about what God has had to say would in itself be sin. Uh, so we have to be focused constantly on renewing our minds, being transformed by the renewing of our minds with Scripture, uh, with uh, the fellowship of believers, uh, of, of being biblically mentored so that we can make sure that our thoughts, feelings, and emotions are lining up with biblically what it is to be a Christian and not just jumping out into the fray and saying, you know what, Jason, I, I feel so good today, I'm going to go out and buy a new Mercedes. 
If I'm driven by that, that feeling and emotion, ultimately I can trace that back to a lust for material items or uh, a lust for um, feeling prideful that I have something really nice that nobody else has. When in reality, I can backtrace that and say, hey, you know, if my lust for material items is, is usurping the worship that I should give to God or the focus that I should put on God, that's sin. We should stop that feeling and emotion. We should put the brakes on and say, red flag, this is not good. Let me be focused on the things of the Lord. Let me determine how I should proceed forward based off of what I might be feeling in this exact moment. Um, according to Ephesians 5.25, how should we love our wives and what might that look like in a everyday life like right now in today's world that's that's a whole that's a whole marriage conference that's a three-day marriage conference right there uh to i be, got time no. <laughs> to be perfectly honest in short uh we should love our wives as our own body uh we should love them more than our own body uh, we should love them like christ loves the church um christ laid down his life for the church uh some biblical principles uh i should provide for my wife biblically speaking uh he who does not provide for his house if he is a so-called brother is worse than an infidel an unbeliever uh so biblically the man if he is able is is required uh to provide for his household he should be the spiritual leader of his household he should be the spiritual leader of his wife uh of his children um he should be the chief repenter of the home the one who is seeking the most forgiveness for wrong done because he should be the one who understands his sin more than his wife and more than his children in order that he might lead them more effectively ergo love them more. And so we understand that love isn't just this emotion that we feel towards people, it's action expressed in truth of Scripture. That's what love actually is. Um, because I can say that I, I love my wife all day long, and I do, I absolutely love my wife, but if all it is is feelings and emotions, what's that built on? Air. So what happens if, if I do something that she doesn't like, let's, let's say I, I don't wear deodorant for the next three weeks, and I start smelling really badly, all right, ultimately my wife, if, 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 if her love for me is built off of just the joy she finds in me, and I start smelling like a pigsty, then her love should go away. But if it's built on deep-seated scriptural truths, it's built in uh, a life of truth and a life of love uh, that's, that's, that's handrailed by the gospel to get the understanding of what love actually is, then we know that we can go through those times when I have stinky armpits or uh, we might be frustrated with each other and there can still be love. Thank you. <laughs> You're welcome. Um, <laughs> Isaiah 66, 17, quote, eats swine's flesh eat swine's flesh what, what are they getting at with that that's the question isaiah uh, so, 66 17 without without turning there in short uh you know we know that pigs were unclean animals uh in old testament uh the the dietary laws if you will um so if you were someone who eats swine's flesh uh you would be put out of the camp uh, you would you would not be considered ritually clean. Uh, that would be indicative of a hatred of the laws of God. Um, so I'm just going to swing out there in the air and say that's a bad thing because God says it's a bad thing in the Old Covenant. However, we know uh, Peter in the New Testament, uh, I believe he's at Simon the Tanner's house in Joppa, and uh, there's uh, a sheet, uh, a four-sided sheet that descends, and it has all these unclean animals. He hears a voice, Peter, uh, kill and eat, or rise and eat. I can't remember uh, what the exact quote is. Uh, there God declared all foods clean. So we know that we can eat pigs now and we're not violating any one of God's laws. Or camels or, uh, you know, any other weird shellfish, lobster, shrimp, things like that that would have been considered unclean. Those are now clean foods. Which is good because lobster is really good and it's tasty and I like it. So, How can we tell if someone is filled with the Holy Spirit? Uh, their works are evident. Um, you know, uh, the fruits of the Spirit, for example, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Uh, when we see those manifesting themselves in someone's life, their growth in Christ-likeness, their excitement about spiritual things, we can say likely that person is filled with the Holy Spirit. Um, however, if they start articulating things that are not biblical, they live in unbiblical ways, they demonstrate with their lives uh, great sin, grievous sin, unrepentant sin, uh, we can very quickly look at them and say, this is not what a Christian looks like. Uh, how does that 
not violate Matthew 7.1, judge not lest you be judged. Uh, my response, my favorite response, I'll quote Paul Washer with this, twist not the scripture lest you look like Satan. Uh, when we take a verse out of context and we try and just blanket throw that out there when we don't know the Bible to begin with, it's really dangerous, dangerous, muddy water to get into. It's a bad thing. Um, so Paul very clearly tells us, uh, you know, what do I have to do with judging outsiders? And what he's saying there is, I don't have anything to do with eternally judging those who are not Christians. However, do you not judge those who are on the inside? You should be judging Christians by their fruit. Uh, Jesus says a tree is known by its fruit. How, how, how are you going to know if it's good fruit? Is it rotten or is it good? Does it taste terrible or does it taste really good? We're called to discern people's spiritual fruits, not to eternally judge their souls. So there's a difference between righteous discernment and eternal judgment being passed from one person to another. I thought the Jewish religion did not believe that Jesus was the Son of God, but there are Jewish believers all through the New Testament. So with that question, uh, yeah, the, the vast majority of Jews uh, in the day of Jesus thought that Jesus was going to be some really good-looking, tall, militaristic, awesome dude who floated around on clouds and killed a bunch of Romans. Uh, that was their view of what Jesus would be. And so when he came and Isaiah said, literally, he was an ugly dude. Uh, he was comely of form. Uh, he, he was born in a, in a filthy manger to, uh, you know, a, a, a teenage bride and a carpenter or a construction worker. Um, you know, the, the, the fact that the Lord of glory condescended and, and, and was born of Mary, of all people, is, 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 is beyond my ability to comprehend to begin with. Um, but as it pertains to uh, the Jews not believing that he was the Son of God, yeah, the vast majority of them didn't. And so that's why he wept on the outside of Jerusalem, Jerusalem, Jerusalem. Uh, you know, I, I would have gathered you as a hen gathers her chicks, but you were not willing. You weren't willing to come to me, though I am the incarnate Son of God. Uh, you know, one of the first times people want to kill him. Uh, he quotes out of Isaiah, and he says, Today this scripture is fulfilled in your hearing. And that's when they wanted to throw him off of a cliff. Um, so how was it then, then, we, then that we go from that point to having the vast amount of his followers be Jews? Uh, he died a terrible death at the hands of the Romans, and then he lived. He rose from the dead. Uh, that's how a lot of Jews actually believed in him. Uh, you know, we look for a period of 40 days after uh, he came back, he manifested himself bodily, physically, and ate food. So we know he wasn't just a spirit. He had a fish sandwich with people more than a couple times, uh, you know, after he died and rose again. Um, so he, he physically manifested himself to people. People knew this dude was real. And through the power of the Holy Spirit and convicting hearts, uh, the vast majority of the early converts were Jews. And so Jesus said, my primary mission is to come for the Jews. Ultimately, we see glimmers of his message to the Gentiles, his salvation offered to the Gentiles in his earthly ministry. But that was one of Paul's primary responsibilities was as a special apostle to the Gentiles. So we see that salvation is for everyone, Jew and Gentile alike. Other than well-known authors, Lewis, Sproul, McCarthy, who are some of the other authors we should be reading? Who are some of the authors we should stay away from? Uh, stay away from people like um, Kenneth Copeland, uh, T.D. Jakes, um, Joyce Meyer, um, <laughs> Joel Osteen. Uh, I'm getting whispers from my wife because I, I usually don't try and, 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 and gather together a list of authors not to not to recommend. Uh, anyone who's really big about self, 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 me, 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 I, 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 how do you get health, wealth, and happiness? How do you get all the things in life that you want? That's not what Christianity is about. Um, good authors, uh, almost any one of the Puritans, uh, go back three, four hundred years in Christianity. You want to see Christians, read the Puritans. Uh, Richard Baxter. Uh, read Bunyan. Read a, read a modern English of the Pilgrim's Progress. It's a phenomenal work. That was one of, uh, um, uh, goodness, that was one of Charles Spurgeon's favorite authors. Charles Spurgeon would be a great one to read. My, my wife is recommending Martha Peace. That is a phenomenal uh, book for women. She, uh, she wrote The Excellent Wife, uh, a great book on how women can look more like Christ in their marriage with their husband and honor God through uh, their, their home and their family and being a wife. Um, great authors, Richard Baxter, John Bunyan, 
Richard Alline, um, Ian Murray uh, is a great resource from Banner of Truth Trust. You want to see solid, solid teaching books? Go to uh, Reformed, or excuse me, Banner of Truth Trust. Uh, Reformed Trust as well also has great publications. Uh, almost anything by R.C. Sproul. Uh, I absolutely love my one caveat there is he is a, a Pado Baptist. I'm a Credo Baptist. That's about the only thing that we're going to disagree on. Again, secondary issues. He's batting a hundred percent as it pertains to the gospel. Um, consider those who are opposed to Christ or uninter uninterested in living for him. In what ways does your relationship with Christ give you empathy and compassion for the lost? Because I was lost. Um, because I was one of those people. Um, because we should have a heart for the lost if we know what we've been saved from. Uh, in the same way that, think about this, if, if I escaped from a concentration camp, concentration camp in World War II, um, I would have a special empathy and sympathy for the people who were still in the concentration camp. We should feel about a billion times more than that being Christians looking at a lost and fallen world. What does dying for Jesus look like for you and why is this worth the effort? Because Jesus Christ paid it all. Uh, he was the perfect sacrifice, the perfect, um, the perfect substitute, uh, the perfect gift. Um, if Christ is not the be-all, end-all of, of why we're in this, then we should get out of this. If he's not the focus of this, then we need to leave this. Um, what, what, what was the kind of flight path of the question? I'm blanking a little bit on that one again. So it says, why does dying for Jesus look like to you and why is it worth the effort? What does dying for Jesus look like for you, and why is it worth the effort? So we can't, we can't even follow Christ unless we, um, we deny ourselves, we take up our cross, and we follow him. Um, there's no point in living a life that we walk out on our own for our own purposes and our own desires if it's not for Christ. Um, you know, being constantly focused on self, which is what most of the quote-unquote, I'm going to air quote, false gospel teacher preachers uh, want to do. How can your life be better? How can you get more wealth? How can you be more prosperous? How can your family be more happy? Well, you give most of your money to my ministry and you don't ever read the Bible or deal with sin. That's, that's exactly how the world wants us to feel better. Uh, but that's not denying ourselves and following Christ Jesus. That's, that's seeking after self. That's desiring self. That's wanting self. That's needing self rather than Christ. And if, if we understand and see that our, we need X, Y, or Z over here on the side more than Christ, then we're obviously worshiping X, Y, or Z more than Christ, which makes us idolaters which makes us honestly look at our lives. And if we find ourselves in that situation, we should ask, am I even a Christian if I'm worshiping something more than God? All right, I'm sorry. I'm not trying to laugh. Can you share some, let me rephrase that. Can you share some ways your, as in you, your faith has been strengthened specifically since you started here in Wakeman? Persecution. Um, hatred of the gospel. Um, watching many people, uh, and I'll, I'll say the internet, I'll throw the internet, I'll throw um, people in our community, people outside of our community, watching them say they're Christians and, and then seeing that they literally don't ever read their Bibles or they know nothing of their Bible or when they try and... Um, bring an accusation against what we're doing here for the gospel that they choose to abuse the word of God by taking the word of God out of context and twisting it into an arrow that they can then throw when they don't even understand what they're actually saying or what that certain biblical text actually means. And so that's why I'm huge on biblical expositions rather uh, than what's called eisegesis. So we focus on exposition here or exegesis, drawing out of the text the truth of Scripture rather than reading into text our desires, our lusts, our presuppositions, and then coming up with an interpretation that's actually counter or anti-biblical. 
uh, hear our desires to get to the intended meaning of the author, which ultimately of the Holy Bible is the Holy Spirit. Uh, but then we can take things like the historical cultural context of, you know, the book of James or of uh, Matthew, Mark, Luke, or John, and also use that as, you know, kind of handrails for how do we, how do we draw out what the author is actually trying to say here. Um, so, so, you know, being, having scripture used against us by people who would not even label themselves as Christians, uh, for example, a, a, a large, a large amount of the LGBTQ plus, um, uh, persons who were violently against what we were doing here mm-hmm. usually will default to Matthew seven, one judge, not lest you be judged, uh, John three sixteen, and they will just twist and, and pervade the word of God to try and attack Christians. And that in itself is, is an abomination. That in itself is, is a slap in the, an attempt to slap God in the face and say, I'm going to use your word to try and come against you. I'm going to try and divide you against yourself, which is impossible. Um, so, so I think that my, my faith has been strengthened by constantly saying, what does this say? Mm-hmm. What does this say? Not what, what do I say? What does church say? What does, what does X, Y, or Z say? What does God say? And if God says it, and we believe it, and we obey it, how can it be any better? Because it can only be worse if we don't. And it can only be worse if we don't know. That's why I'm huge on, on trying to say, what does God say? What does the Bible say? Um, so yeah, my, 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 my faith in the Word of God has grown since I've been here. Um, because of some of the persecution and the flack that we've taken for doing things biblically. Um, you know, when you when you hear Christians say, um, you know, I don't I don't want to talk to him because he's going to use the Bible. What common ground do we have? What, what 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 point is there in even saying we're part of a church or we're we're part of the Christian community if we don't want to use the Word of God, which is how we can even determine how to be a part of the Christian community? Uh, that's ridiculous. So I'll, John's here; he's easy to pick on. That would be like John writing the the manual for cat surgery 101, and 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 then and then saying, you know what, I'm a vet, but I don't know a single thing in cat surgery 101, and and I might know one truth in there, but I'm not gonna I'm not gonna actually apply that correctly. I'm going to butcher it, and then I'm going to cause great damage to the animals I'm trying to do surgery on. It's the same thing spiritually. You're going to do great spiritual damage. Uh, Matthew 7, again, same place where we get uh, judge not lest you be judged. There's two houses. Your house is going to be built on rock, which is the foundation of Christ Jesus, the Holy Word of God, or it will be built on sand, which is nothing. The same storm comes. The same storm beats against both of the houses. Only one of them stands. What does it say? The other one falls and suffers great loss. There's a spiritual implication at play there. Um, this is kind of a lightning round, if you will. Shoot. So let me read all of these questions, and then you can just answer how you see fit. So I won't be able to remember any of them if you do that. So just give me one, and I'll okay. try and answer it in under so 20 seconds. So who gives seconds. spiritual gifts? Who gives spiritual gifts? Ultimately. Okay. Those okay. the. You have you are you are done. The battery is dead. So Check. I think I'm going there to. There we go. I'm your, back now. Oh, you're back on. I'm back now. Okay. Yep. So uh, the, ultimately, the Holy Spirit. Holy Spirit. That's the quickest, easiest answer biblically. Okay. Who gets spiritual gifts? Christians. Only Christians. What are some of the spiritual gifts? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, uh, specific giftings. Uh, if you've been called to be a teacher, preacher, uh, you've been called to serve in some capacity, um, you know, any, any one of those things would be considered a spiritual gift. And it's interesting, too, uh, God often uses uh, our secular giftings uh, to, to help us uh, in, in turning those into spiritual giftings. Uh, so you'll find a lot of times, uh, you know, look at, look at Paul, for example, Saul Paul, uh, phenomenal uh, uh, teacher, phenomenal preacher of Old Testament law, and then God uses him mightily, turns him away from Old Testament Judaism into the New Covenant, completed in the New Covenant, not away from Old Testament Judaism, but com- finding the completion in the New Covenant, and then he uses him as, as a mighty teacher and preacher for the gospel of Jesus Christ. Um, you know, administration helps. Uh, people who are great in, in the business world of helping to administer things can use those to uh, help in the administration of certain things in a church. Uh, you know, using a lot of the, the, what the world would call our skills or our gifts for Christ, then we can use those as gifts to honor God through spiritual work. What are the purpose of spiritual gifts? To honor Christ. 
not to honor self, to, to just as John the Baptist said, I must decrease, he must increase, to point to Christ, to point to the gospel. Um, can you explain what it might look like for someone to add conditions to righteousness as if adherence to traditions or rules will determine how to please God or determine how pleased God is with them? Okay, so if they're adding things to... Mm-hmm. Understand it. Yeah, so absolutely. So uh, that would be getting into what we call uh, legalism versus antinomianism. Uh, antinomianism being a fancy word for uh, against the law. Uh, so on one side, if, if you'll look at uh, legalism, where we start to add a bunch of stipulations for how to be saved or how to be righteous or what it actually is to be a good Christian, if we add extra things to that, that's legalism. On the flip side of that coin, antinomianism, uh, literally against or anti-law, where we say, ah, you know what? there's no need to hold any type of standard here so let's just do what we want as long as it feels good uh, we have to find the middle road there we have to find the the true biblical center and understand that uh, you know we can't add conditions to salvation we can't add conditions to righteous living uh, but at the same token we can't take away from what God has said we should do or what sh- we should be so one of the common abuses with that I think is um, you know how how if I live under grace now rather than the law, can I just sin all I want? If Jesus paid it all in Calvary, can I just do whatever I want because I'm a Christian? Uh, Paul says no. May it never be. Uh, you know how can we who um, you know are of Christ continue in sin? We can't continue in sin that grace can abound. That it would continue to cover that sin. If we're, we've been purchased by Christ Jesus with the blood of God, with the blood of Jesus, uh, ultimately we should be a redeemed people who lives to the glory and honor of Jesus rather than using Christ's sacrifice as a cover to skate and do whatever we want in this life. Our lives should be indicative of the fact that we've been bought with the most precious substance in the universe. What does it mean to be called instead of hired? to a position? Uh, well, I think there's a spiritual, obviously a spiritual uh, implication there of, of God orchestrating, um, you know, let, let, let's say any, any work in the church, uh, you know, down, let's, let's pull it away from being a pastor, a teacher, a preacher, an elder. Let's just say you work in the soundboard in a big church, and, and that's, that's, that's uh, like, like my daughter's doing back there for free right now. Uh, you know, that's not necessarily her calling. She might be really good at it. She might be gifted at it. I don't think that's necessarily her calling in the church, but if there's a person who's a professional who God is using their, their skills and their talents for his glory in order to make a gospel presentation better or to, uh, you know, help put that out on the internet or over the world, um, God can call that individual to that position but that might also include full-time employment. There's nothing wrong with that. Uh, we know, for example, um, in, I can't remember if it's first or second Timothy, uh, you know, those, those who teach and preach are worthy of double honor. Do not muzzle an ox while it treads the grain. Uh, the laborer is worthy of his wages. So we know, we know and we understand that people can have spiritual callings, but can also seek, uh, you know, uh, the, or, well, they, can, they can have uh, gained for that in terms of employment. Different because there's a spiritual aspect to one. There's kind of a, you know, secular slash, um, you know, earthly job side to the other. Mm-hmm. But God can call people individually to serve in certain capacities, and there's nothing wrong if they get paid for it. Um, we read a lot in the Bible about Jesus' birth, but then almost nothing until he hits uh, to be around 30 or so. What happened between his birth and when he turned 30 or so? We have uh, really just, a, honestly, a couple events between then uh, and uh, his, the start of his earthly ministry. Um, you know, we see him at age 12, I believe, in the, in the temple, the actual temple in Jerusalem, uh, talking to a lot of the religious leaders of the day, asking probing questions, and they were amazed by him. They were astonished by him. Uh, it said that he was growing in, uh, in, in, in favor with both God and men, that his life was continuously showing the fact that he was perfect. And so what's that going to do? That's going to make people think, okay, yeah, this little kid is asking questions that are just, I'm not even fathoming these things. And this, this kid's starting to understand principles that us learned men are, are, are having difficulties batting around. That, for me, as a religious leader or teacher in that day, I would think there's something special about this kid. Um, you know, but, but why did he actually have to be around 30 to start his earthly ministry? Uh, I would argue back in the Old Testament, you had to be 30 to be a priest, 
So the Jews weren't even going to look at you as a qualified rabbi or a teacher unless you were 30 years old. So I would say that he continued to grow in favor with God and man. Uh, He lived a perfect life, and he was really excited to start his earthly ministry and do what God called him to the earth to do. So before we, I guess we'll do maybe a couple more of these without this mic rolling off of the table. Uh, any, Any questions, any more questions from the crowd at all in any way? No questions from the crowd right now, so I'll read. I don't know if Jason's read this one. I'll read this one real fast. Oh, no, that's your that's your discard pile right there. This one, uh, what are some of your favorite verses if you were stranded on a desert island with only one book of the Bible, which would you choose? Um, I would say easily that the second one I think is easier for me than the first um, because there's so many in my head. One of the, one of my difficulties is I've I've been blown up so many times that it's hard for me to remember chapter and verse exactly. Uh, I I'm usually a chapter guy. I know roughly where I want to go and what book and what chapter. Sometimes the verses elude me. Uh, as for the book, the book of Romans, uh, hands down, hundred percent, no questions asked. I would take the book of Romans to a deserted island. Uh, found therein uh, the promises of the Old Testament, the fulfillment found in the New. Testament. Testament, uh, the message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. It's basically the closest thing that we can get to a systematic theology of why God saves and how he saves. So I'd go with the book of Romans. Uh, some of my favorite verses, um, you probably hear me quote them a lot, um, you know, uh, John the Baptist, um, you know, even now the axe, the wrath of God, um, God's holiness, his justice is laid to the root of the tree and the tree that does not bear good fruit shall be hewn down and cast in the fire. Uh, Ephesians chapter two, uh, new life, Ezekiel 36, a new heart, Ezekiel 33, the watchman on the wall, uh, Genesis three, the first gospel. Um, we could go on and on and on. Um, Psalm one, uh, the contrast of the righteous and the wicked, uh, you know, Proverbs six, Proverbs 16, some of my favorite chapters in the Bible. Um, John three, uh, and, 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 and surprisingly, all of the stuff before John 3.16 is some of my favorite stuff in the Bible because it explains the movement of God and salvation. Um, I think John 3.16 is one of the most uh, wildly misinterpreted verses in the entire Bible next to Matthew 7.1. So uh, early John 3, uh, well, just the whole chapter of John 3 is amazing, really. Uh, John 15, um, you know, John 17, the high priestly prayer. Uh, I'm, I'm all over the place, but I, I love pretty much the whole Bible. It's all good. So I highly, highly recommend it. So I have a question regarding what you just said. Shoot. So if, if someone who <clears throat> has never picked up the Bible before, based on what you were just talking about, would you recommend they start in John? Uh, I think probably the book of Mark would be the easiest one to start in, uh, in terms of the gospel accounts. It's the shortest, it's action-packed, it's very fast. It dives almost immediately into the earthly ministry of Jesus and his teaching and preaching. So I would, I would say Mark would be a great book to start with, uh, with new believers, for sure. So the book of Mark. Or, or for those who are seeking. Um, okay, Yeah. <clears throat> Excuse me. Jay, think about your own spiritual journey. When you encountered Jesus for the very first time, how did you respond? I hated him. I absolutely hated him. Um, I told everyone that I loved him, and with my life, I despised him. I spit on him. Uh, I blasphemed his name, um, and I was wildly against him. Uh, while walking the aisle at an early age as the son of a, a Baptist minister. Um, you know, everybody from the outside would say that J. Johns loved Jesus, um, that he was a good kid, that he was a good Christian kid. Um, I was a fraud, complete and total liar. So the, for my first encounter with Jesus was to hate him because that's what the Bible says people do. Um, there's no one good, no, not one. There's no one who seeks after God, no, not one. Friendship with the world, which is what I had, is enmity with God. I was at war with God and God was at war with me. Um, I had no desire for him. Uh, he did not please me. Um, And he did not make me feel good about myself. However, when he got a hold of me uh, and changed my heart and changed um, my mind and changed my life, uh, I love him. And I would be willing to lay down my life for the proclamation of the gospel. Uh, Christy and I just read about um, a Canadian pastor. Uh, This was today or yesterday in the last day or two, who has been arrested for teaching and preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ, thrown into prison uh, without bail, um, already had a secret trial. Uh, They don't even know the outcome of that. And was literally uh, pulled, I can't remember if it was out of the church or out of his house, uh, with uh, cuffs and ankle cuffs. 
So they're treating this guy like he's a terrorist, and basically what he was doing is he was preaching and teaching the gospel during corona in Canada. Um, so please be in prayer for, for he and his wife and uh, their church during this time. I, I don't know his name off the top of my head. Um, but I, I would count it as an honor to be arrested or killed for the cause of Christ um, because that's what we're called to. We're called to deny ourselves, to take up our cross and follow him. And a cross wasn't a device used to make people feel good. It was a device used to kill people. Um, you know, we, we look at the fact that uh, if Jesus was persecuted, he says, you know, uh, what's, what's greater, a slave or the master? He said, if they persecuted me, they will persecute you. If they hated me, they will hate you from me in my words. And we see that walked out every day in our country, and we see that every day walked out in the world. And sometimes, sadly, we see that walked out here in the context of our own community. Okay. Um, anyone else here in the congregation have any specific questions for Jay? Um, I think we'll probably do one more and then we'll close do it down. A, do like one or two more and then be done. But uh, think about that before we finish. Um, let's see. We, let's make sure there's some good ones, huh? Let's just pick this one. Go for it. Okay, you can read this one. Creationism is obviously not real science. Why should we even begin to think these crackpots know what they're talking about? <laughs> excellent question. Uh, excellent statement and excellent question there. Um, in short, uh, the Word of God is constantly disproving secular science. It is constantly disproving secular um, uh, anthropology, archaeology, biology, uh, you name it. The Bible is constantly proving itself to be true and crushing the reasonings and vain philosophies of men. Um, you know, look at DNA, look at neuroscience, look at uh, the, the gravitational, um, you know, magnificence of our solar system, let alone galaxies upon galaxies upon galaxies. All these point to a created universe and a God of order and design. Uh, of a God who is able to provide uh, unity in diversity. Uh, that in itself, um, you know, kind of defying the second law of thermodynamics, denying entropy where, um, you know, we have these organized systems that, that they can only maintain uh, order or increase in order if there's energy applied from the outside. That energy is God. All we're going to do is rip everything apart. We will naturally just flame out if there's not a created designer who has designed these systems to work perfectly with one another uh, in perfect harmony and unity. Look at the water cycle, for example, on our planet. Be a, a great one that just, by the way, uh, read the book of Job uh, or Psalms or Proverbs, and you'll just see about 99% of what goes on in the universe or in our inner world uh, in really tangible words there. Not crackpots. All right, and does anyone have any more questions? I have one more here that I'll read off, but is, uh, you were good on the text messages? We're, no more? No more phone calls? Okay, so this will be the last question. Um, can you explain the role of faith uh, in a Christian? Think about how you would live your life if you knew how everything would come to pass perfectly. We see that since we don't know that, uh, we don't have the ability to see down the corridor of space and time outside of general prophecies that have yet to be fulfilled in the Bible. Uh, I don't know what's going to happen in the next five minutes. I don't know if my heart's going to explode before I finish the next sentence. I don't know. Um, so as it pertains to faith in the life of a Christian, I have to have faith in the fact that God is God and that there is a God of the Bible, and that he's real, and that he's sovereign, and that he's in control of everything. And if he is in control of everything, and if he is sovereign, and if his word is true, then I can have faith that what he has said, and what he has promised, and what he has explained to us will come to pass. And so there's an element of the fact that I can't be trusting in myself. Because if J. Johns knew everything perfectly, past, present, and future, I'd have no ability, or I'd have no desire to trust anything outside of myself. 
I'd have no ability to be led anywhere, to be guided, or to be shepherded, or to be even loved for or cared for in a tangible way because I would be sovereign on my own. I would be above all things. And so God has posited himself high above humanity in order that we are not able to lay our hand to uh, uh, the, the steering wheel of God's will or the steering wheel of the universe. We are, we are going to have to respond as Christians, specifically get ready for this, in the next few years to likely overt persecution of the American church. I see that coming in a very short time. Uh, and so we will be required to have faith that God will provide everything that we need in order to grow in Christ's likeness and to advance the gospel of Jesus Christ. Where do we start? The Bible. The Bible. So, so understand that there are people who would literally kill if they could get a whole copy of the Bible because they're reading it in someone's basement, maybe, maybe one or two uh, of the gospel accounts or half a gospel account, and they're literally singing praise songs to God in whispers because they're afraid of uh, the police, they're afraid of being put into a work camp, or they're afraid of being killed or beheaded or thrown into a swimming pool uh, in a metal cage or uh, having diesel poured on them, being hacked to death with machetes. We have such freedom to proclaim the gospel here. We should be doing that with everything that we have, but the only gospel that we should be proclaiming is the biblical gospel. And so how on earth are we going to know that if we're not reading our Bibles? How on earth are we going to be able to help people who have real questions if we don't know the Word of God? We won't be able to. In fact, we'll do them great spiritual damage and we'll do them great disservice. That's why we have to be reading, we have to be growing, and we have to be learning. Because if we're not doing that, we're dead. We're dead. Um, so that was our last question, but I would just like to add, um, if you had a question and you might have been um, just too shy to send it in or didn't get it in time, but you still want to have any type of Bible question answered, you can email those to uh, wakemanchurch at gmail.com. Repeat the email address one more time because this is only the, uh, the this is actually the first time we've done this Bible Q&A. So if there's any, any ideas or suggestions that you may have to make this uh, better or have any ideas that you think that, you know, things that we did tonight that you didn't like, um, we would also like to hear that feedback. And you can send that to uh, wakemanchurch at gmail.com. And uh, we will try to do this again in the short future. Um, Diaconate really, really did spend some time thinking about how to um, just do this in a, in a way that, uh, you know, people who were, you know, concerned about coming into a sanctuary, um, maybe wanted to, to stay home uh, and, and have dinner, or even uh, if the weather was bad. So, um, again, anything that you might have for suggestions or feedback that would be appreciative. Um, anything else that you want to add, Jay? Thank you guys for calling in, texting in, uh, and asking your questions in person and sending those in in, in written format. Uh, God bless you. Be safe uh, as you go home. Uh, and uh, Jason, would you mind closing us sure. out in prayer? Father, thank you for today. Uh, please let your Holy Spirit we'll open our eyes to something that we may have uh, just seen for the first time tonight with Pastor Jay. May we gladly follow you and uh, lead our life to live for you. I pray this in your name. Amen. Amen. God bless you guys. Have a great night.